Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com if you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast google Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Welcome. Happy New Year. First session of The Porch 2023. Time to get busy. Time to pray. Remember, if you need prayer or you want prayer for others in the Porch community or you want to pray for others in the Porch community, so I'm already messing up. We're just barely two minutes in and I've already messed up. Just contact us. Remember that we care about you. New blogs have been posted at thebeaconsglare.com, T-H-E-B-E-A-C-O-N-S-G-L-A-R-E.com, thebeaconsglare.com. Also new videos up at the Firefall Network on YouTube. Planning to be more active this year, so make sure you subscribe to be updated. Time to get into the Word, and we start out with praise and prayer. Praise the Lord for my family, my wife, my sons, daughter-in-law, grandson, furry kids, everything I have. I praise Him to be here with you, speaking the Word, sharing with you what He shares with me, hoping that it blesses you and it helps you to be the believer you want to be. I'm thankful for my salvation and everything I have because of that. Without that, I am nothing. And I am thankful that I am going to see him face to face in the near future. That starts out my prayer. I pray for, uh, you know what, we haven't done this part in a while. I don't know why. But I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love Jerusalem, love Israel. I pray for America. I pray for his church, divine health and healing. I pray for the brothers and sisters around the world being persecuted for their faith. I believe, as I said in one of the videos, things are about to get worse, not better, but we won't go there yet. The video's there. There's also a blog up about it. So, Father, we come to you now in the name of Yeshua. We ask, first of all, we ask you, Lord, to reveal yourself to the sons and daughters that don't have that relationship, that haven't yet approached the throne of grace and mercy as little children, crying out, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, I pray that you would draw them to you. We thank you for Yeshua. We thank you that your love was so great that you asked him to do what he did so that we could be reconciled to you. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for the cross. 
Thank you for the resurrection, the empty tomb, the upper room, the Holy Spirit, everything that you did in the process. We thank you for ongoing relationship that we can interact with you and speak to you and hear from you. So, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want to do tonight. Anoint these words. Open the hearts and the minds of those that are listening. Prepare them. Speak to them. Change them. We bless the technology. We bless everybody's phone or however they're listening. iPad, pad, tablet, speakers, car, however you're listening to this, we bless your technology. No interference, no disruption. Let the word go forth. Let the spirit do what he wants to do. And we just believe, receive, and pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So it's the new year. Many people end one year going into the next with the regrets of the prior year versus the anticipation of the joy of the coming one. That word regret means a feeling of sadness, repentance, disappointment over something that has happened or been done or maybe didn't happen. Sadness, sorrow, disappointment, dismay, unhappiness, dejection, lamentation, grief are some of the synonyms. The antonyms, the opposite is happiness and gladness. The other word I used is anticipation. The action of anticipating something, the expectation or prediction. You know, many of you celebrated um, Christmas. And your children got up and the children's eyes sparkled with anticipation on that morning. I remember that look. They have a, a an expectancy, a hope. They're hopeful. They're excited. They were waiting for that event with high hopes and looking forward to it. Well, that's our walk with the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about, a life of anticipation. As we begin this new year, and by the way, it isn't his new year. It's a new year according to man's calendar. But we'll go with it. We start it with anticipation, excitement. We're looking forward to things. Now, in the natural, things don't look so good. But that's okay. My hope's not in the natural. So your Bibles are open. You're ready to go. Philippians 3, starting verse 10. In this, so that I may know him, experientially become more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers, 
and that I might share the fellowship of his sufferings by continually con- by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness even to death dying as he did so that I Paul says but I'm saying it now that I may attain to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead not that I've already obtained it this goal of being like Messiah or have already been made perfect but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me and made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua. All of us who are mature, pursuing spiritual perfection, should have this attitude. And if in any respect you have a different attitude that to God will make clear to you, only let us stay true to what we have already attained. Brothers and sisters, together follow my example, Paul says, and observe those who live by the pattern we give you. For there are many of whom I've told you, often told you often, and now tell you even with tears, who live as enemies of the cross of Messiah, rejecting and opposing his way of salvation, whose fate is destruction, whose God is their belly, their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity, and whose glory is in their shame, who focus their mind on earthly and temporal things. But we are different because our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we eagerly await the coming of the Savior, Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who by exerting that power, which enables him even to subject everything to himself, will not only transform, completely refashion our earthly bodies so that they will be like his glorious resurrected body. This so applies today, at least to me, I see it. The enemies of the cross are everywhere. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to see this. They don't want people like me preaching it, getting people saved, healed, and delivered. No, that, and we know who's behind that. But what Paul's saying is re- disregarding that because we know it's there. Pursue the goal. It's a spiritual goal. It's a heavenly goal. It's an eternal goal. That's what you set your mind on. That's what you purpose yourself to. He says, and this, so that I may know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. Experientially, not some distant unfeeling, unattached Savior, but knowing him, interacting with him, hearing his voice, knowing that he loves you. To do that, there are things that have to change in you, in all of us. No matter what my relationship is, and and I believe it's pretty good, I want more. 
I want more of him. I want to know him more. I want to be like him more. But I understand that no matter whether you're saved one day or 10 days or one year, however long, our spiritual perspective has to change. From the time I was a a, a baby believer, waddling about in my diapers. No, when I was a baby believer back in 1980, 89, even 90, I wanted more, but I knew that I had to change to have that. Now, Paul has set this up, what I just read to you in Philippians, further back in chapter 3 with verses 7 and 8, when he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Messiah. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Messiah. What things? Well, jumping back a couple of verses, he begins to talk about who he was, what his experience, what kind of his spiritual resume. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law. A Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteous which is in the law, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What he was saying was, I had this outward form of religion that had to be replaced by an intimate relationship. He literally had to be knocked off his high horse and come face to face with the Lord. I don't I don't care who the person is. I don't care what, how many letters they have after their name or how many diplomas they have on the wall or how big their library is. They're not all that. The only one who is is the Lord. And we have to understand who we are and why we so desperately want what I'm talking about. At least I hope you do. Again, I've come to the realization. I do hear occasionally from people. I've come to the realization that, that this work and these Bible studies could just be for me to keep me going, to drive me forward, to, to keep my heart and mind on him, to fine-tune me, fine me, shake off those edges, shave them off. I hope they're for you too. First John Chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that John talks about, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty basic. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. In Philippians 3, Paul saying the only important thing to him was to gain Messiah, therefore receiving the gift of eternal salvation. By comparison, he says, all other things were meaningless. They were garbage, worthless, 
said, I count them as rubbish. But in the Greek, he says, I count it as dung. Greek word scub, scubalon denotes refuge, refuse, whether A, excrement, that which is cast from the body, or B, the what's left over from a feast which is thrown away and given to the dogs. See, what's interesting why Paul uses this is that the Jews and those caught up in the law counted Gentile Christians as dogs while they themselves were seated at God's banquet. But Paul reverses the image and declares that the Judaistic ordinances were refuse. Good for nothing. To be discarded. Well, that dung is anything and everything that interferes with your relationship with the Lord. In Philippians 3.3, 3, as he sets all this up, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Messiah Yeshua, and have no confidence in the flesh. Because the Jews believed that if you were circumcised, you were good, um, you had it all, you were ready to go, that was it. But the truth was there was a spiritual circumcision, a matter of the heart, not of the flesh. And Paul saying that true circumcision is worshiping God in the spirit. Remember the Lord told the, the Samaritan woman at the well to worship God, the Father in spirit and truth. Rejoicing in Messiah is another true circumcision of the heart and placing no confidence in any human honors or accomplishments as a means to reach God. Funny thing is the Old Testament did too. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. It says, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart, be stiff-necked, be rebellious no longer. Again in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Well, this was a foreshadowing of the new covenant, a foreshadowing of the cross and foreshadowing being born again. You can't do that unless you're born again, and it gives you a new heart. That's why Paul says, the things that were gained to me, the things that were important to me, have counted as loss for Messiah. They were damaged. They were of no further use. funny thing is we hold on to those things. We bring them with us. For me, when I got born again, when I got saved, all past religious experiences, all the things I'd been taught in catechism, Catholic elementary school, high school, and university, all those things were dung to me. I threw them out, turned my back on them. I wanted to worship him in spirit and truth. I wanted the truth, and I wanted it from the spirit of truth. I wanted to know the Lord. I wanted to know my heavenly Father. Paul saying that they became unimportant when he learned the important things after being confronted by and confronting 
the resurrected Messiah. I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua, my Lord. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Messiah. You know, first thing in the morning, my eyes open. And and when I share this with you, I was thinking about that today, and I want to reiterate it. When I share the experiences I have, whether studying the Word or interacting with the Lord or any of the things you've heard in my testimony or what I do with SRT or any of those things, it's not because I think I'm something special. I don't. I'm hoping that it inspires you to want those experiences, even greater ones. But all these things, first thing in the morning, it's about the Lord. And I'll be outside with the dogs, and I'll be talking to them, and I'll be interacting with them. And I interact with him all day. I know the world would say, you're crazy, Richard. You're hearing voices. No, I hear one voice, and it's not mine. Last thing at night, laying in bed as my eyes are closing, I'm praying. I'm covering my family. I'm covering the the team, SRT. I'm covering the community. And, you know, I'll drift off. Knowing that as I sleep, he's watching over me. Knowing that his name is on my lips and his nature is in my heart, even sound asleep. My spirit man's got it. Anything that's not that is worthless. It's rubbish. The Nelson Study Bible says this word rubbish, that this word dung that I mentioned to you means anything detestable and worthless. And all the things of this world are rubbish compared to Messiah and our relationship with him. Our righteousness is like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. No one, I don't care who they are, I don't care how big the crowd around them, in front of them, I don't care what they drive, I don't care who the names on them, none of that matters. They are not all that. But no matter who we are, no matter who you are, press on towards the goal. Not that I have already attained, Paul says, for, or I am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that which from Messiah Yeshua has also laid hold of me. When he says, not that I have already attained according to the Nelson Study Bible, King James Version, Paul chooses a different Greek word from that translated in as attain indicates he's not yet gained possession of or laid hold of all that he seeks to be. Well, I agree with you, Paul. I've not attained it either. And I won't have it until I get my glorified body and I'm standing there with him. Until then, I'm going to press on. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get there. If I fall down, which I do, I get up. 
dust myself off, and I keep going. Maybe it's my nature. Maybe it's my personality. I guess I'm a um, type A personality. I go for it. If I set my mind on it, I become a little bit or a lot OCD about it. The Lord knew that. I believe that's part of the reason he chose me and gave me the calling that he did. He knew quit's not in my vocabulary. I'll keep going. If my leg doesn't work, and we had a couple of days of that from various things, I'll drag it behind me. I'll keep going. I'll grit my teeth. I'll grunt if I have to, but I'll keep going. I want to be perfected. I don't want to be perfect. I want to be perfective and that perfected. And that Greek term means mature or complete, finished. It doesn't mean a moral or sinless perfection. No, it means a perfection tied to the righteousness of the state of completion as a believer. When Paul says he's to press on, to pursue with a deliberate speed that goal that is set before him. The verb form indicates that he's doing it continually. Your walk, no matter where it is, is a continual walk. You can't lay down. You can't sit down. Uh, You do get rest. Don't get me wrong. You should have a Sabbath rest. If you don't, maybe we should talk about that. But it's continual. That even then, when you rest, you're resting in him and with him. When the sheep rest, the shepherd's nearby. And that phrase, lay hold of, means to overtake by surprise the seizing of that object. Paul urgently wants to grab a hold, grab hold of God as God has laid hold of him. Dramatically. He was seized on the road to Damascus, and his life was never the same. Making a choice to forget those things we left behind, we choose to press on, choose to keep going. And I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying the allure of those things isn't always there. I can tell you for me, if my wife and I are watching um, a movie, and there's some really good acting, or produ- just the quality is really good, it triggers that side of me that misses that but doesn't miss it. It's just something about it. Probably like when athletes watch other athletes play and they, go, they miss that feeling. But I don't want to do that. I want to serve him. I want to go on. I've had plenty of opportunities to go back, and even when things get tough and the finances aren't there, my natural, my spirit man says, hey, update your resume, get it ready, get some new pictures. Go back out there. My heart wouldn't be in it. I don't want to do it. I just want to pursue him. I want to grab a hold of him. I want to set the captives free. I want to destroy the work of the enemy. I want to prepare the way for the return of the king so that when he arrives, I know that I've done my job. I know that I've done what I was supposed to do. So Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. He's in the middle of an ongoing process. He's even implying he wants to forget everything. 
so that he would not rest on his past successes, even as a servant of Messiah, but to continue to labor for the Lord. The death of ministry is when you think that you've done great things and you're going to rest on those things. The Spirit's like the wind. It comes when it wants to. It goes where it wants to. It's constant movement. The minute you get caught up on stage and you like the view and you like the lights, you begin to die. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. A pattern means an exact representation of the original, a carbon copy, if you will, a perfect pattern. Paul's life was like that. The the life of the apostles and the great men and women of faith were like that. But here we're talking about walking with Messiah, walking in the Spirit. I've only had one pattern like that in my life. Pastor Shelley, my spiritual father and mentor, but there came a point where I had to look beyond that and set my eyes on the Lord. In fact, some years ago, a couple of years ago, I don't know when it was, Shelley and I talked a lot, especially on Bible study day, and I I missed that. I was sharing with him a revelation. I was sharing with him some new research. I was sharing with him what the Lord was showing me about the DNA and about the quantum realm and how we were created. And I was going on and on and on and tying it together with Scripture. And he got really quiet. He said, I know everything that you're saying is the truth because the Spirit confirms it in me. But I'm going to tell you, I don't understand it all. Then he said one more thing that I wanted to disagree with, but he wouldn't let let it happen. And again, this isn't to exalt me. He says, the student has so far surpassed the teacher. You don't need me anymore. And of course, I said, that's not true because I needed him. I needed him as a sounding board and a covering. But I was pressing on. I wasn't going to stop where he was. Greater things, the Lord said, shall you do, because I go to the Father, meaning I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. So you're going to do greater things even that I, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, did while I was on the earth. So I'm pressing on. I have a life of anticipation of obtaining and attaining those things. But in the concept of Philippians 3, what is the upward goal? It's our citizenship in heaven. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, and he's weeping for those that are lost, that they are the enemies of the cross of Messiah, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. Did you hear that? Your citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who will transform our lowly, and I'll add broken, body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. 
He controls all things. He sits on the throne. He controls the universe by his very essence, by his, by his very vibrational nature. The entire universe, every planet, every molecule, every atom is held together by him. And as believers, we need to remember, though we're in this world, we're not of this world. Our ultimate citizenship, our ultimate home is heaven. It's in paradise with the Lord. And Paul says he eagerly waits for it, whereas the enemies of the cross, their desire is earthly things. But he wept for them. And one of the things I said in the blog and in the video, and I hope you'll look at it, is that in 2023, we need to regain or we need to increase our love for the lost, but we need to re- love for the Lord, but we need to regain his love for the lost and dying. We can't sit in judgment of them. We need to see them through his eyes. We need to see what Hasatan has done to them, to their families, to their children. I look at what he did to me, and I was sharing that with somebody today in an email. That through the rejection of of my earthly father, walking out when I was six, almost seven years old, the summer between first grade and second grade, never looking back, never caring about us, going off, starting another family, another life, made me bitter, made me hateful, the rejection of that, and the enemy added to it and took advantage of it and all the things that he did to me. And, And I've shared with you the stories of the people that railed against me when I went to visit Deb and Jesse at Christian Heritage and told me I was going to hell for the things I'd done to my family. They didn't see me with his eyes. They saw me with religious eyes. Thankfully, Shelley saw me with the Lord's eyes. And if anybody could have rejected me and read my mail and rebuked me, it would have been him, but he didn't do that. We need to get those eyes back. We need to get this expectation back of being like him. Romans 8, starting verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits waits for the revealing of the sons of God. And this is not the Hebrew, B'nai Elohim, the angels, but the redeemed, resurrected children of God, as mentioned in Psalm 82, 6, and Matthew 5, 9, the peacemakers, the sons of God. It's talking about his, that's Creation is looking for the redeemed, resurrected body of Messiah because it knows that when that happens... Creation that was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know 
that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We have anticipation. That earnest expectation literally means to watch with an outstretched neck, to be looking for it so that you can see it. That's anticipation. All of creation knows that it'll be redeemed too. And the bondage of corruption broken. Because nature, all of nature, animal, vegetable, mineral, this entire earth is slave, is a slave to death and decay because of sin. I don't know about you, but I grieve for it. Well, I see a what happens to his creation in this world, by this world and by humanity. I grieve. Sometimes I'll either apologize on behalf of mankind. Martin Luther said, I hope that the day is near at hand. When the advent of the great God will appear, for all things everywhere are boiling, burning, moving, falling, sinking, groaning. He said that sixteen or seventeen hundred years ago. No, six or seven hundred years ago. It's not seven, I'm sorry. You know, I worked on this all day. I read this, and I never got hit by it until I said it out loud. And I believe I feel the way I feel because it's how the Spirit feels. It's the first time I ever thought about this, but I think when he stands up, to leave the throne, to come back and end all of that, there'll be a sense of relief. Finally, it's over. See, that's our hope. That's our anticipation. For we were saved in this hope. Hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We anticipate it with excitement. How could you not have excitement in your walk? What are you focusing on? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? Are you basing everything on your feelings? Well, your feelings are not the truth. The truth is the truth. Just because you can't feel his love, he loves you. 
Don't get caught up in the whole ooey-gooey feeling thing that the world wants you to have. Hope, the constant expectation of an unseen reality. We are saved by faith, but our hope, my hope, your hope, is in the return of Messiah, in all of his glory, in our complete deliverance from the sinful nature of this world, our flesh. For if we are expecting something unseen, we strain our neck to look for it. We wait with perseverance, and we are willing to endure the present. See, anticipation, the, the kind of anticipation I'm talking about, it inspires perseverance and endurance. And I want to tie that to something, Matthew 24 Verse 36 onward, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And Marcus says it a little different, but of that day and hour no one knows. So we've established that, not even the angels in heaven. Mark says, nor the Son only, but only the Father, and I believe that that was at that moment, sitting next to the Father, even the Father are one. But that's just my look. Anyway, take heed. This is what I want to share with you, Mark thirteen thirty-three. Take heed and watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you don't know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Although we were, we may not know the exact day or the hour, we, we were meant to recognize the season of the Lord's return. And the thing about this, and the, um, the reason I'm bringing it up, is that this is consistent with Abba's, our father's dealings with this world in the past. He's always created an atmosphere of anticipation. Israel anticipated the Messiah. The church anticipates his return. Not an anticipation that causes you to sit and wait and watch, but it it inspires a fire to go and to do and to prepare. Remember, anticipation is a feeling of excitement about something that is going to happen the act of preparing for something, the act of looking forward especially to a pleasurable expectation. That expectancy, we see that into the flood. No one, not even Noah, knew the day or the hour the flood would come. But he knew the season and knew it was imminent by the job he had been given. 
story about a little girl that went after after church. The sermon was about the second coming. So this little girl started asking her mother. She said, Mommy, do you believe Jesus will come back? The mother said, yes. So the little girl said, could he come this week? The mother said, yes. Today? Yes. Could he come in the next hour? The mother said, yes. In a few minutes? Yes, dear. Well, Mommy, would you comb my hair? She wanted to be ready. When someone you love is coming over, you prepare for their arrival. When I know Jason's coming over, uh, I I know what I have to do to get ready and set things up. He's got his own little table and chair to sit at. He's got his own little sofa for the floor. I know what to set up. There's a preparation for his arrival. I'm excited. Even Matt gets excited. If we say Jason's coming over, he'll stand at the window with me to watch. So you get excited. You clean. You set things in order. You make sure everything's ready for them. You get ready personally to look and be your best, as that little girl wanted to do. That's what love does. The five wise virgins, yes, they fell asleep while waiting, but they were ready when he arrived. There was a commitment to relationship, and that commitment inspires them. Religion doesn't do that. Religion is not a relationship. It's casual. It's cold. It's indifferent. This must be a loving, committed relationship And when it is, we anticipate his return. We anticipate the moment in the morning and the last thing at night. We anticipate that time during the day. And why didn't he give us an exact date and time? Because he wanted us in an attitude of readiness, always doing what needed to be done to be ready. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, Beloved, Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We want to be ready. We want to be prepared. When Messiah returns, we will be like him, and for we will see him as he really is. As children of God, saved, born again, names written in the Lamb's book of life, we are the image of Messiah, and we share in his glory. That's what Romans 8 is referring to. And this purification, this readiness, is really not something you can do last minute. It's an ongoing process. If we knew exactly when he was coming, we would wait until the last minute. Complacency and laziness would set in. 
and Hasatan and the fallen count on both. That's why they want people to not believe he's coming back. They don't want them to believe that there is a rapture of the church. They want the church complacent and lazy. Not this boy. Because those who have this hope keep themselves pure, seeking to become more like Messiah in anticipation of his glorious appearing. It's partly for this reason that God's children will not be ashamed when Messiah comes. First John 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And why? Because righteousness is not natural to us. We get it from the Lord through faith. And we apply it to our lives so that we can practice it. The Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says about righteousness that in Messiah one becomes all that God requires. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The result of becoming the righteousness of God is a life of righteousness before God. That's why Paul urges all believers to continue to offer up by choice the members of their bodies as instruments of glorious of righteousness to God. Both your body, the members of your body, and the members of a body. It's by choice. Romans 6.13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Hey, we're urged to put on the breastplate of righteousness, protects our heart. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, held in place and put on the breastplate of righteousness, Ephesians 6.14. Those that are trained through discipline produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12.9-11, furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened dust as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I believe, as I said in both the video and the blog, things are coming in 2023 and the years ahead. That part of it is to prepare us, to strengthen us, and to chasten us so that we're completely righteous and ready to do the job. No discipline brings joy. Let's get real. It's grievous and painful. But it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, a harvest of fruit, which consists in righteousness and conformity to God's will in purpose, thought, and action, resulting in right living and right standing with God. Have you gone through something and felt like that? Instead of moaning and groaning, saying, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Look at it and say, what's the end result here? 
I'm going to be better. I'm going to be more useful. I'm going to be less me and more him. So let's live a life of anticipation. Let's anticipate his return. Let's anticipate, eagerly await for it, but also await for the things that we have to do before he gets here. Let's not look at that as drudgery or work or even service. I choose to do it. I don't have to do the things I do to prepare for Jason's arrival. And I'm told that. You don't have to do all that, but no, I have to. He deserves that. How much more does the Lord deserve that? A life of anticipation. Strive to lay hold of the life he died for you to have. If you haven't done it, start today. Make it an everyday thing. Don't make a New Year's resolution. Make an everyday resolution. If his mercy is anew every morning, because how great his faithfulness is, how about your life of anticipation be new every morning? It's not easy. It's something I had to learn to do, but after 34-plus years, it's become second nature. But I haven't gotten there yet. And I'm going to keep striving. Father, in the name of Yeshua, King of kings, Lord of lords, I come to you on behalf of myself and all you sons and daughters that are listening. I pray that these words have done what you wanted done. I pray that you've spoken to them, that they've heard your voice that any obstacles, anything hindering them from this life you've revealed and will help them to remove. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you're stirring them up, that you're enveloping them, comforting them. No condemnation comes from you. Conviction, correction, loving correction comes from you that they can let those things go, the past hurts, the, the false teachings, all the things that they embraced that now have tripped them up and may even have them in bondage, that you're untangling the knots, you're undoing the locks, that the prison doors are flying open, that anything in them that's not of you but of Ahasatan and the fallen is fleeing because it doesn't want to be there. It doesn't want to be in a clean place and definitely doesn't want to be where the Holy Spirit is taking up residence. So I pray right now in the name of Yeshua, receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet with the manifestation of both the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit in every part of your life. That you can live the life that he died for you to have. That you can walk it out. That we can do this together. That we can run the race and finish it and do everything we need to do to shake this world one last time before the return of the king. I pray that you'll do that. I pray pray that you'll receive that. I pray that you'll want that and join us in that.
And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Before I release you, if this has resonated with you, listen to it again. Take notes. Find the scriptures. But more than that, for some of you, you may need a daily planner. Planner, You may need some kind of a, uh, I don't want to call it a diary, but something to keep track of your day at the end of the day so that you can build upon it. You may need to be a little more meticulous about your walk in 2023 than you've been before. And that's up to you. That's a choice. I'm not telling you. You have to. I'm just saying you might need to. And then if I were you, I'd want to choose to. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, may Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.